facing your fears comes in play. Once you accept that safety is an illusion, that bad things happen, you know, everywhere. Right. And I think it frees you up to think a little bit more outside the box. Hey there, I'm Ani Michalski, wellness coach, therapist, and mom to half a dozen amazing kiddos. This podcast is for moms who desperately need a break, but refuse to take one. You know who you are. You have a jam-packed schedule and you're so busy doing everything for everyone else, you don't leave any time for you. What's up with that? Well, no more. Take off your superwoman cape and learn how to put yourself on your to-do list. This is the Moms Without Capes podcast. So we have today on the Moms Without Capes podcast, Tanya Hackney, and she is coming from us from the Florida Keys. She is a homeschool mom of five who has lived and traveled on a sailboat with her family for over a decade. Now, it may sound glamorous, but it's also challenging, and she doesn't mind being real about the struggles in paradise. Recently, she wrote an award-winning memoir called Leaving the Safe Harbor, The Risks and Rewards of Raising a Family on a Boat, and she's eager to share her message of overcoming fear to live a fulfilling life with a wider audience. In her words, she is a neurotic housewife, and she's got a workaholic husband, who have left suburbia. And if they can do it and live on a boat with five children, anything, almost anything is possible. She loves to share the practical steps towards living a life outside of the box. So welcome Tanya to the podcast today. Oh, thank you, Oni. Thank you so much for having me. So um, let's just dive in. I read a little bit about your bio, but so many questions for you. This is such an out of the box lifestyle that you're living. And so I'm sure you have millions of stories. Can share with us a little bit about what got you to where you are? How did you get on this boat and decide to live this amazing, I think it sounds glamorous because I'm all about the tropics and the ocean. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about your story and how you got to be where you are. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, actually, sometimes it is glamorous, and I forget that it is. It can be very, very glamorous, but sometimes it's like it's just ugly. <laughs> sometimes it's ugly. <laughs> close uh, my quarters. Hus- it sounds yes, like. exactly. Close quarters. Uh, so my husband and I grew up in Florida. We're high school sweethearts. He grew up sailing. I did not, uh, but it was kind of a dream that he had, and I was intrigued by it. So when we were in high school, we used to talk about sailing away you know, from responsibility, we were at that age where you're trying to figure out what comes next. And that was a really fun thing to talk about, like dating long distance and going away to college and finding jobs. All of that was not nearly as romantic as let's buy a boat and sail away. (laughs) Uh, But like all pie in the sky dreams, we didn't really have any clue how to do it practically. And so we did kind of what we were raised to do in, in the public school system. And we, you know, went off and went to college and got jobs and got married and had a couple of kids and we had a house in suburbia it had it literally had a white picket fence um we had a a, you know fancy weekend car we had the life that everybody wants what what i would call the american dream right but actually probably looking back on it i would now call it like the american nightmare (laughs) because you're trying to maintain you know all this stuff and and it's never enough you have to get more stuff you have to have enough stuff so that you can show off to your neighbors right, and, or you get quo. 
right or you're in the neighborhood and the property values start to plummet so you need to find the bigger house and the nicer neighborhood i mean it was just we found ourselves in this place of we've achieved everything that everybody said we should achieve so how come we're not you know over the moon thrilled with it why are we bored and we started to think about our childhood dreams and we kind of kept that dream alive by reading sailing magazines my husband was racing sailboats on lake lanier uh, north of atlanta on wednesday nights uh we we dreamed about it all the time it was a niggling thought that just wouldn't go away right you had and so calling. yeah we just knew that the sea was calling us uh, i knew virtually nothing about boats and so there was gonna there was gonna be a pretty steep lear learning curve when we finally did do our u-turn we sold you know a bunch of our stuff moved into a smaller house made a five-year plan uh, bought a small boat, sold the weekend car, sailed on on uh, Tampa Bay for a couple of years until we were, you know, I guess more comfortable on the water. We had a, a couple extra kids, <laughs> so pretty soon, you know. Say, how many kids was it? Yeah. That you, you Let's know, see. What, what number did you decide to take the the plunge? Well, we had we had two boys you know, rapidly, we had two boys that are 13 months apart. And then our daughter, Sarah was born 18 months later. So I had three kids under three for a short while. And that was the period where we moved from Atlanta to Florida. And actually, that first step is sometimes the hardest. Like, what were we thinking? We had three <laughs> kids under three, and we ditched this safe, awesome life that we Your had. Your family People probably thought you went off the deep end. <laughs> Oh, nobody, nobody understood like why we were doing it. And you would explain to someone like, well, someday I would like to buy a sailboat and sail away with my children. They're like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> so, I don't know how to explain it. It just was, it just seemed magical to us. And it, it still seems magical. I mean, on the good days, it's very magical. Uh, so we, we ultimately stuck to our five-year plan and we um, bought a sailboat and we moved aboard and uh started traveling and then we promptly got pregnant and i was bipping around in the islands getting larger and larger and larger and we ended up coming back to florida to have our fifth child she is now 10 so she has spent her whole life afloat and wow. um, we've we've mostly traveled florida east coast florida west coast florida keys east coast all the way up to the chesapeake um actually we sailed all the way up the Potomac to Washington DC one year. And then we spent three and a half years in the Caribbean and then multiple trips to the Bahamas. Uh, we never crossed an ocean. Part of that is because my husband is a digital nomad and still needs internet to work and fuel the whole operation. And then the other reason is that what we didn't know when we bought a boat was that one of our kids gets horrifically seasick. I was, so, that was one of my questions. I yeah, was so, ask you. yeah, so this poor, that poor kid, like <laughs> we bought a boat and we moved our poor seasick kid aboard. You know, you think you're like, well, maybe he'll grow out of it. Or right. maybe, maybe these ginger lollipops will work. You know, you try all these things and in the end we medicate him, but he's never like, uh, you know, a fully functioning crew member when we're underway. Mm -hmm. And so we've tried to keep our, our sailing to a minimum. Most of our life is being anchored in a, in a really cool place and not, you know, being wave tossed. Actually, right. So what yeah. do and you we do in a storm? What, that was one of my kids' questions when I told them that I was going to interview you, is what do you do when it's storming or when the waters are extra choppy or does it get scary? Uh, yeah, it's totally terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I definitely had felt uh, that feeling of, uh, you know, I might die. I could really die out here. I've had to face my own, you know, fear of death and my own mortality. And that really does something to you. I I don't know what it's done to my children. They'll probably need therapy. What I can tell you from my my perspective is that I faced my fear. Sometimes I've overcome it. Sometimes I have lived despite it. You know, I might still feel terrified and do something anyway. But what I can tell you is that courage doesn't mean not being afraid. Courage means doing something even though you do feel afraid. And when you come through a storm at sea, which I'm sure I could describe for you in gory detail so that even you could feel seasick. uh, When you come through that, you feel amazing. It's a lot like childbirth, you know, when you have your first Mm -hmm. child and it's, it's also terrifying and you don't know what it's going to be like. But when you come through that, you feel like superwoman. I mean, I'm speaking for myself. Yeah, obviously I had five. So I must have felt good after (laughs) because I sort of, you know, forgot the pain part and just remembered the triumph. Um, Storms at sea are challenging. You never, we never plan to go out when the weather is bad. We are very careful about planning. Of course, even when you plan for good weather, you, you hit squalls, you have unexpected things happening all the time. I mean, you can just have a little bit of wind whip up and it can change, you know, a glorious day into a nightmare. We, we literally batten down the hatches. We <laughs> close the, all the hatches and dog the handles so that no water will leak inside our boat. Um, we usually reef the sails. There's this sort of feeling of preparation. Once you've been through it once or twice, you kind of know what you need to do and, and of course, if you've been through it a couple of times, you also trust your boat to take care of you right. and you trust each other to, you know, to take care of. Have you lived you're, on you're the all... same boat? Have you lived on the same boat for 10 yes, years? Or... The okay. same boat. So we bought a 48 foot catamaran in 2008. Okay. It is a wooden boat, which um, means that it rots. Every boat and material has its own, you know, pros and cons. Um, mm. Our boat re- requires constant maintenance because it's made out of wood, but it's also really strong because it's made out of wood, and we really trust it. It's a it's 24 feet wide. It has four cabins, uh, double like a full size bed in each cabin, okay. and then my my daughter when she was born, we built her a little sleeping space that had a rail at one point when it was kind of a crib, and then has just become, you know, a, a berth for her. Right. And then um, our main living space is about a 15 by fi- 15 foot room. And then we have space in the cockpit, which would be like, I guess, the equivalent of a front porch. But okay. that's where you steer the boat from. And there's a table outside and a table inside. So, you know, if the weather's nice, we can eat out. And if it's not, we can eat in or, you know, it's nice. So how do you get space from each other? Like, I know, I mean, even in a larger house, like it's hard as a, it's for mom like to be able to have that space for yourself to be able to think and to plan and to, you know, do things that for yourself. For the first 10 years of being a mom, I told myself that I did not have the time to go out with friends or to learn a new hobby. I told myself that my focus now had to be on my children and they were my responsibility and my responsibility alone. I would feel guilty if I did anything fun without my children and husband, and I'd feel resentful since my husband seemed to just come and go without any of the kids even noticing. I, on the other hand, would get bombarded by my kids if I said I was going for a walk alone, so I stopped trying. I stopped making dates with friends, and I stopped knowing who I was. 
I didn't know how to ask for help and I felt weak and like I wasn't a good mom because I wanted it. I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask. I became a control freak, really, trying to control everything and everyone because if things weren't in order, it reflected on me and my worthiness. I filled my plate. Boy, was I busy. I volunteered. I led groups. I got involved in everything. Looking back, I can see clearly that I was trying to prove my, my worth, but really it was exhausting and it led me to feeling like a failure because I just couldn't keep up. I fed myself all kinds of lies. I don't have time. I don't need that walk. I can do this alone. I thought that the world was going to fall apart if I did something I enjoyed. And I told myself this for so long, I actually stopped knowing what it was that I even enjoyed. Sad, I know. But can you relate? I felt trapped by my own excuses. But it wasn't until I started recognizing them for what they were that I was able to finally break free from them. I created a guide to help other moms break free from the lies and to start taking care of themselves. It took me 10 years. It definitely doesn't have to take you that long. I'll put the link to this guide in the show notes so that you can grab your copy and be on your way to breaking free from the guilt and start rediscovering who you are under that mom hat. Yeah, we they're such close quarters. I think because it's a catamaran, because we bought a catamaran and not a monohull, we can we kind of have separate corners. There are four main cabins you can like right now. I'm holed up in my in my cozy cabin. Uh, my family's upstairs. I can still hear them. You're never really out of earshot of your family, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely on my own. If I need to really be alone, I hop in my kayak and I paddle off. And then I get outside, I get exercise and fresh air, and then that thinking time that I need. Uh, if we're near land somewhere, if we're, you know, at port, then I can go to a coffee shop just like you. <laughs> right. Okay. But when we're traveling, when we're traveling, you either hop in the dinghy and zoom ashore or you go kayaking. Or um, I read this awesome book once called 20 Minute Vacations, and I took it to heart and I tried to, because my life was so busy, I couldn't find mm-hmm. more than 20 minutes at a time. I hung a hammock between our our arch, where our solar arch is between the the two hulls in the back of the boat, the stern. And it was hard to climb in and out of this hammock. So once I climbed into the hammock, I would set a timer and the kids would come out to the cockpit and be like, hey mom, I need the this or I want the this. And I'd be like, oh, I am so sorry. I am in the hammock and I cannot get out. And I have 15 minutes left. So go ask your dad or you know, figure, figure it out, out for yourself or you're just gonna have to wait. I'm on my vacation. <laughs> So that's how I did it, by hook or by crook, little by little. My husband and I have prioritized date, date nights. And so whenever we've, once we had, you know, the oldest one was a teenager, we've snuck off the boat uh, okay. as regularly and to nurture our marriage and as well. Another question I had when I, when I was preparing for this interview is when I think about like, especially when my kids were younger, we had twins. And so they were like, we have six kids and so the middle ones are twins and I remember when they learned how and you said 13 months apart for a few but when they were learning how to crawl and even especially when they learned how to walk like they were always going in different directions and it was hard to continually keep an eye on them 24 7 and in a home right like you childproof but in a boat there's I feel like there's more dangers is Um, that true or is that did you find that or what? I think safety. Okay. So safety is a, per, is perception, right? You, 
grow comfortable with where you are. If you live in the city, you're not afraid of living in the city. If you right. live in the country, you know, if you stick a city person in the country, they're going to be afraid of things that the country person will laugh at and vice versa. You got a little country mouse, city mouse. So right. if you live in a house, a boat seems dangerous because it's, you know, sharks and pirates and <laughs> drowning, drowning, right? Yes. Um, but when you live on the boat and you gradually get used to it, yes, you take lots and lots of safety measures. You, you make rules and then you have to consistently follow the rules because, you know, discipline is safety. I mean, we did things like putting uh, nets on the lifeline so you couldn't like accidentally fall overboard. Our cockpit is completely enclosed. So there's no way that you could sort of tumble out. You would have to climb out. And if, if you were a toddler in our family and you started to climb out of the cockpit, there were immediate consequences. Okay. Like you don't ever go on deck without a parent, without mm -hmm. your life jacket on. I mean, we just had rules and discipline as a sort of first line of defense, but of course, safety equipment as well. And really, we were single handing for a lot of years because you really need one parent responsible for the children and the other parent responsible for the boat. Right. So if we were sailing, it was, you know, dad's at the wheel, mom's taking care of the kids, you know, and then when mom's at the wheel, dad's taking care of the kids. And then at night, it's catch as catch can, but somebody has to keep an eye on the boat at all times. And keep an eye on the horizon and the chart and make sure you don't run into anything and make sure big ships don't run into you. It's a, it was a lot to keep track of. And, and there are tragedies, but there are tragedies in houses too. And there are tragedies True. You know, on busy highways. And our, our idea about safety prevents us from living fully. So I guess that's the part where, where the, the facing your fears comes in play. Once you accept that safety is an illusion, that bad things happen, you know, everywhere. Right. And I think it frees you up to think a little bit more outside the box. Very true. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can totally see where you're, where you're coming from. So how are you affected by COVID? Because when I think of living in a boat, like it's very isolated. So do you feel that, how, how do you feel that you were affected by COVID being well, on the one hand, so I, I'm speaking in a lighthearted manner because I personally do not know anyone who died from COVID. So obviously okay. my comments will be affected by that. My my uh, 70 something year old mom, diabetic mother got COVID and survived it. And so mm -hmm. I, the, the, what I would probably talk about are sort of like the social ramifications. On the one hand, we were we we're always socially distanced. Right. I mean, like, yes. <laughs> that, that's what I was like. I mean, if you look <laughs> exactly like if you look at an anchoring field, you're you're anchored away from your neighbors. Right. But on the other hand, the sailing community is probably the closest knit family that we know. I mean, they're an incredibly sociable group. Um you're always stopping to talk to your neighbors. You're always having people on your boat and you're being invited to someone else's boat. There's meetups everywhere you go on every island. Huh. Um, they're also a group of people that aren't terribly risk averse. Like they're used to facing storms at sea. And, you know, for some of us, we're like, well, it's not Ebola. So you might as well come over and play dominoes. <laughs> so <laughs> like, I, I think we assess risk a little bit differently. And we definitely noticed that, you know, looking at like the way that some of our land friends handled um, 
you know, the injunction against gatherings and then the way our boat friends handled it. It was very different the way that they perceived danger. So some of the way that I respond is, is shaped by, I guess, my having faced, you know, storms at sea or, you know, danger that I'm, I'm going to do a careful risk benefit analysis of everything that comes my direction. We're very independently minded and, uh, in the way that we assess risk and, and benefit. And so we, we, we did quarantine for a couple months because we thought that it was, you know, the wise course. Mm-hmm. And then, um, after that, we began to socialize again. And uh, we just realized we can't live without community. So we're not right. really isolated. I mean, we, we are, but we aren't. And we also right. have five children and we couldn't, you know, those teenagers that are, you know, at this point of launching, we just didn't feel that we could continue to live you know, cloistered, right? And launch them. It's not. Do your teenagers want to be sailors? Like, do they? Do, do they enjoy the life? I would say it's probably going to be a pendulum swing. I mean, if if you think about the way things skip generations, you know, what whatever you had, whatever right. your parents had, you want something totally different, right. and then maybe your kids go spend time with the grandparents. So I would guess that probably our grandkids might like to sail. Our three oldest are, are off on their own adventures in some okay. way, shape or form. My oldest one is now independent and he's learning to fly airplanes. Oh, and wow. <laughs> yeah, so he's up in the air, but he, do, he does like the boat. And he said, if we ever did a long passage that we could call him and he would come back and help us, you know, cross an ocean or something. Um, our, obviously our, one of our kids, our second son gets horrifically seasick. Can't wait to get off the boat. <laughs> And we're, ha- you know, we're happily tied to a dock right now. So he's not struggling with any kind of motion sickness. Uh, and so I don't perceive that he'll ever want to spend a lot of time on boats. Uh, and the others, I mean, especially the youngest two, their whole lives have been spent on a boat. I think this is probably what's just what's normal for them. Right. That's all I don't know. I, know. It's really hard for me to predict. And I, what I guess what I would say is I hope that each of them finds their own adventure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be a floating adventure. It just, I just can't imagine that they would be happy in a cubicle. I hope that they pursue, you They're know, calling. an amazing, an amazing okay. wildlife and that they, that they have that permission to do that in a way, because that's what we did. We said, right. you want something, go after it. And so I don't care what it is that you want, go after it. It doesn't need to be on the water. Right. Just follow that calling learn how to listen for it, recognize it and go. Yes. For it. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that we all want for our children? Yeah. Yeah. Very much. So what is your favorite way to practice self-care on or off the boat? Aside from hiding in your hammock, taking your hammock <laughs> vacation. All <laughs> right. Uh, well, I kind of want to piggyback on something from listening to a previous, um, podcast, Tara O'Brien said something that really, um, that I really connected with, uh, and that is to do something for my mind and my body and my spirit Mm -hmm. every single day. Um, and that, that might be yoga that I can do in a small space where I can, or go for a walk if I'm, you know, close to shore. Um, I love to read and I love to write. And so that feeds my mind. And then, um, I'm a praying person. So I have a morning routine that involves getting up and breathing and praying and uh, probably my favorite way to unwind is to play the ukulele. And so that actually, that probably feeds mind, body, and spirit yeah. simultaneously. 
So those are some of them, um, I guess, my tools and my toolkit that have kept me from going insane. Although, you know, sometimes I've gone insane and said, sanity isn't is kind of overrated. <laughs> and when you said that, the thing that came to mind is it keeps me from jumping overboard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the thing that me. yeah, you'd be amazed at how many nautical idioms we use in everyday right. language. Like people who've never stepped on a boat know what it means to rock the boat or to be in close quarters. Um, yeah, that's actually the what sparked my idea for for the book. For the I think you barber. started like you started our conversation by saying let's dive in deep, or you know, like <laughs> let's take the plunge. We're always using these these idioms, and they have real meaning for me. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you love to read. So what is one of your in my membership? We do a self care um, book club where we focus on self development books. What would you say is a book that has profoundly changed your life or impacted your life in in a positive way? Can you, it might okay. be hard yes, to do I one know, book, no, I know but... exactly what I know. I know exactly what okay. to say. So probably hands down, the book that has most impacted me this year is Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Yes, I love that book. <laughs> oh, have you have you read it? Do you have a Miracle Morning yep. practice? Yes. Oh we, my have, gosh, yep. like, the consistency that that book inspired, the ability. I've, I've never yep, been- the lifesavers. Anything. <laughs> yes, the lifesavers. Like I'm looking at my, I'm sitting here looking at my vision board that's kind of pinned up mm -hmm. on my wall. I'm looking at those those things that I committed to at the beginning of the year. I started on January 1st. Okay. So I've got this whole like, you know, it just happened to hit me at the right time. And I'm looking at those things that I wanted. And a piece of each of those pictures is in my life right now. And uh, like- having finished, um, I just finished reading War and Peace with a friend of mine, and it was a phenomenal reading journey. Um, I published a book this year. We took an eight-week, 8,000-mile road trip. I mean, like, all the things that I wanted at the beginning of the year, I have done okay, in, in bite-sized yeah. pieces, and I'm crediting maybe not Hal himself, but, like, that book and the way that it puts together all of the disciplines, breathing, right and silence and meditation and mm -hmm. exercise. I'm, I'm totally, I should just use the acronym, right? Yeah, the visualization exercise, right. visualization. reading and scribing. <laughs> reading yes. and scribing, and you've done your scribing with your book and do you journal as well? I do journal. Um, I do buy the pretty journals and I do, I fill them up. I've been chronicling sort of my, I would say what I would call my spiritual walk mm -hmm. um, since I was in my twenties. And I have this stack of, and they're so pretty nice. and it's like it documented my inner life not so much my mm -hmm. outer life but definitely I've documented my inner life um, all the things that I've hoped and prayed for uh, all the things that I've learned all the mistakes that I've made they've all been written down I would That's not amazing. want them published right? <laughs> <laughs> they're for me they're for me uh, yes because yes I am my own teacher in that sense um, I love going back and reading those things yeah, and I do what I would say, like, I love self-help books, and mm -hmm. I also like um, what I would call God help me books, <laughs> like, God <laughs> help me, save me from myself, and I think it's taken me a little bit of both, um, both listening to, you know, doing the self-help and the work on myself, but also, right. like, hearing a voice from outside that even when I can't, you know, maybe I, I feel like I can't love myself, knowing that I am loved has, right. has rescued me. That's beautiful. 
So where can people find you, Tanya? Um, they can find me always on my blog. We've been um, charting our course and <laughs> remarking on our journeys since 2008 when we actually the first blog post was right before we bought our boat. And that is at www.take2sailing.com. That's T-A-K-E-T-W-O-S-A-I-L-I-N-G.com. And uh, I'm, of course, now happily or unhappily on, on social media. Um, I'm Take Two Sailing on Facebook and on Instagram. And then I'm Tanya Take Two at Pinterest. Um, and then I, you can also find my book. It's on Amazon and you can ask for it in local bookshops as well. The name of the book is Leaving the Safe Harbor, The Risks and Rewards of Raising a Family on a Boat. And I will put all of that in the show notes for this episode. So if you're listening to this episode, go ahead and check out the show notes. You'll be able to find all of the information that Tanya just gave so that you can track her down and get a hold of her. So Tanya, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an, an awesome episode and I feel that your story is so super interesting. I loved learning learning about the, the life out of the box that you're living. Well, thank you. And if I had any, I guess, advice for readers or listeners, it would be that readers or listeners, it would be that you don't have to go sailing, you know, to, to learn the things that I've learned. But I think you do have to follow your dreams. It sounds cheesy, but I think we do have to go back to those things that, that were calling us when we were young and maybe some of those things we've forgotten about and, and really look at those things closely and maybe be willing to give up something to pursue them. I, I just want to note that what you just said was very true because as moms, we tend to, to put our old, our own dreams on hold. We really, we, we think that we, we can't live a life of passion or pursue our dreams, but you are, you've redefined that. You've shown that it's totally possible to continue living your dreams and to not lose them to motherhood. Yeah. I agree. I think sometimes it's a question of seasons. My, my mother-in-law said to me once when I was very young, when she said this, she said, you know, we want it all. We want a good marriage and we want happy children and we want a successful career. And she said in her life, she found she could always have two out of three and she had to choose. And I took that to heart and I thought about that. And I thought what I really wanted the most at that point in my life, in my twenties and thirties, what I really wanted was a happy marriage and happy children. Mm -hmm. And so I really focused on those things, but on the back burner, I always kept simmering sort of my writing practice mm -hmm. because it was, I knew that I would need something because the children won't always be with you. Right. And so I guess I'm, I'm not quite there yet where I, I'm still trying to juggle all those things at once. My priority right now still is my marriage and my family. But, you know, on the side, I'm building this, what I think will hopefully be a, a future career. And so that when the children are gone, hopefully I will be able to maintain the happy marriage and have yes. this career. But I, I do think a woman can have it all. I just don't think she can have it all at the same time. Right, right. Well, thank you, Tanya, for coming on and being a guest today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share a little piece of my story. Hey, did you know that there's a Facebook group filled with moms without capes? Women who are learning that it's safe to take off the superwoman cape and take care of themselves? There sure is, and we'd love to have you in the group. 
Moms Without Capes is a free community for moms who feel overwhelmed, stressed out, and exhausted from trying to do it all. Come discover who you are under that cape and give yourself permission to show yourself some love. Search Moms Without Capes when you're in Facebook or follow the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. See you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Moms Without Capes podcast. I'm always up to hearing your ideas for future episodes, so send me a DM and let me know. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be awesome if you'd leave me a positive review wherever you're listening to podcasts these days. Until next time, take care of you. You are worth it.